0: Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Soho Art Materials. In 1999, they opened their first shop on Grand Street with a handful of sketchbooks, brushes, paint, and their TriMar stretcher bars. From that point, they've been an integral part of the artistic fabric of New York City. Soho takes pride in what they do as the last independent art supply shop in New York City, and they continue to keep their product assortments and standards high. In 2015, they designed and engineered an aluminum stretcher bar system with the same tongue and groove assembly as a standard wood stretcher. These patented aluminum bars can't warp or twist and are 100% keyable in the corners and cross braces. I've been using them for a while now, and these things always lay flat against the wall. They're super sturdy. And you can find out more about them at SohoArtMaterials.com. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden Acrylics, Mediums, and Materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan, and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10-foot by 40-foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Tammy Nguyen was born and raised in San Francisco and received a BFA from Cooper Union in 2007 and an MFA from Yale in 2013. Her recent solo exhibitions include the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston, Lehman Malpin in Seoul, the Brooklyn Public Library, to Contemporary Art in Tokyo, Francois Gebelie in Los Angeles, Tropical Futures Institute in Singapore, Smack Mellon in Brooklyn, amongst many others. She's been included in numerous group exhibitions, including Still Present, the 12th Berlin Biennial of Contemporary Art past present future expanding indigenous american latinx hispanic american asian american and pacific islander perspectives in thomas j watson library at the metropolitan museum of art greater new york at moma ps1 the Rubin museum in new york bronx calling the third aim biennial at the bronx museum inside out museum in beijing china and many more her artist books are in many notable public collections including the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library at Yale, the Center for Book Arts in New York, the Clark Institute in Williamstown, Massachusetts, the Meyer Library in Dallas Museum of Art, the Museum of Modern Art Library, and many more. In 2023, Tammy was named a Guggenheim Fellow. She's received numerous other honors and distinctions, including a NYSA Nifa Artist Fellowship in Painting, an N-Square Network Fellowship, the Scholarship for Advanced Studies in Book Arts at the Center of Book Arts in New York, New York. Here's our conversation. Um, so yeah, that's great. Okay, so we touched. We already touched on education, East Coast books, printmaking. Like these are all things that I want to cover. These are like things that I'm really interested <laughs> in. So cool. But born in San Francisco. I was born in San Francisco. How did that happen?
1: My parents were uh Vietnamese boat refugees after the f- war after the war after the fall of Saigon in 1978. Um I believe so in 1978 they fled Vietnam and um ended up in a refugee camp in Indonesia. Um, and it was in the Riau Islands of Indonesia. My parents' refugee camp was called Cuckoo Island. Um, it's not no longer um, a camp anymore. It's I think it's been restored to whatever it used to be, or maybe it's just something else now. They uh, then after that they um, were able to come to the United States, and they came. Um, I think the first stop was to Virginia. And I think that their sponsored family was part of some Christian missionary project. I'm not really sure the details of that, but there's something in there that was um, Christian related. Um, then in Virginia, um, my dad just told me like bits and pieces of this story, actually. So I think that... Um, the man of that, uh, partnership, um, was in the air force with my uncle who was already living in the United States. He was living in San Francisco. So when my parents came to Virginia, they became friends with the sponsored sponsoring family. And then they found out that he knew my uncle in San Francisco. And then my parents bought a greyhound bus ticket and at the time my dad said that there was a deal um and you could buy for very little money um a bus ticket on greyhound and it would take you anywhere in the united states and so they got that bus ticket and for four days they traveled across the country and then they ended up in san francisco um and my uncle was already there and so um you know uh that made transitions I, I suppose a little bit easier and then i think in this takes you to about i don't know i want to say like 1980 1981 or something like that um they get settled in, in san francisco um they get a house eventually years after later. finding jobs and everything i don't they know if you- that timeline's correct but like because I'm born in 1984, right? Yeah. And at that time, they already have their house that I grew up in. Right. So in between that time, um, they settle in the Westlake neighborhood of Daly City, which is on the border of San Francisco and Daly City. It's on the Daly City side, but behind my backyard is San Francisco where Lake Mercedes. is. Um, and that's where I'm born and that's where I grow up.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, I know vaguely and i think i spoke to at least one or two people who've you know um whose parents immigrated from vietnam after the war like shortly after the war yeah but i didn't know anything about sponsor families and i i wonder what the you know because i know a lot about sort of like japanese families who moved over after world war ii and how that was tricky or there was a you know it was a phenomenon of like recent war and attitudes to that i mean do you know anything about what that was like for your parents to come over just right after the war
1: not not directly i mean i really just have like an an impression that is like a collage of different pieces that they've like told me in their in their life you know um my dad had been to america before he finally came to america as a refugee so he was um a student um at one of the universities in Vietnam. I can't remember what he was studying, but he had always spoken English and mm-hmm. he was really interested in journalism and foreign policy and, you know, different projects by the US Department of State and things like that. And he had come to um, Washington, D.C. on one of his study abroad programs, which was really interesting. So, um, in terms of like, I think some of the textures in america i can only assume that my dad had some some sense of what it would be like um um before he came here yeah
0: well um so growing up in san francisco what was that like
1: i had a really awesome childhood i think um i that's not to say that they weren't without trials um but i I think in the end it net positive (laughs) um i um I went to uh, Lakeshore School. So I kind of stayed in the area a little bit, more or less. Um, I went to Lakeshore School, which was this um, awesome school on one side of Lake Merced. And it was such a utopian place to go to school. Like, I I think that that's like where I really became. interested in, like, poetry. I don't know. When I think back on my time in elementary school, there was this really good poetry program. Um, It was uh, taught by this woman named Grace Graffon who went around to every single classroom from when I was in kindergarten. And every single week, she would come in with a a big rolled-up piece of butcher paper. And on it, she had, like, with a big poster marker, had written down a poem that she had written that day, Or we would write a poem together. And there was so much about her that I remember from like just learning how to construct words from just pulling them out of your own observation, um, assembling them together in a beautiful way. I remember taking walks to the lake and like really like looking at plants really carefully and then writing things about them. I think that I really learned about metaphor from a really early age. And so it was just this amazing uh i don't know just this amazing impressionable education um after that i went i started going to catholic school um so in uh there was a bunch of other school options um but i think that um, my my parents really you know, wanted me to go to a school that had, um, reliable academics, which could be a little bit of a a risk in San Francisco and in Daly City and in the public school system. And, um, the independent schools were very expensive. And so I think that a lot of, um, middle-class immigrant families, um, elected if they could to go to a Catholic school because those schools had pretty, um, you know, pretty good record for, for academics and stuff. And so I went to this school called St. Cecilia's um, in the Sunset District. And um, St. Cecilia's was home to an Irish community. Um, and, and it was also a, a community that seemed to be uh, very generational. Like, there were a lot of people who had been there for multiple generations like you know their dad had gone to San- St. Cecilia's etc cetera, etc cetera. and that was my first time experiencing that I don't know if it was necessarily um the most warm and fuzzy place to go to school
0: <laughs> Catholic school or Irish Catholic? Um, yeah I... well
1: no St. Cecilia's wasn't I had a great time later on in high school when I went to Sacred Heart which I thought was a little bit more cozy <laughs> yeah um and um yeah you know i i you know i i think that it in hindsight now that i've done so much work about catholicism and really reflecting about the um legacies of catholicism in in my own heritage and across other uh, across other cultures and stuff like that i think that um, i'm really grateful for having gone to a place like saint cecilia's that was so uh, so proud of various traditions that it had created. Um, so kind of, I don't know, um, so loyal to um, ideas of family and faith. And I, I, I've, I've grown to have like a really big respect for that. Um, I might not always align in my own life to um, various um, traditions and ways of living and stuff, but I have a profound respect for that. Um, so later on in Sa- at Sacred Heart, Um, Sacred Heart was um, uh, a a Catholic school that a lot of St. Cecilia's students went to. It was Mm -hmm. Sacred Heart or St. Ignatius. Um, And uh, Sacred Heart, um, you know, I I was really lucky. I had some amazing English teachers and some amazing, um, I don't know, I feel like I would call this philosophy class, but a lot of, like, the religion classes made a big impression on me. Like, I remember you know having to think a lot about big questions of right and wrong and like morality class and i think you can kind of be a little cynical about some classes like that but i i really wasn't i i had a great time in those classes and there was this scholar program where um seniors would come together in the evenings and read various philosophical texts together it was texts about uh education ideas of Republic's ideas about societies and economies and stuff like that it was an amazing uh, an extraordinary sort of academic experience and um, you know there was this thing at Sacred Heart um, where um, so we we're all like anxious about college I think I think I think it, the anxiety has increased more over time but back then I remember the anxiety being very immense about Getting the right scores and getting right, into the right yeah. schools and whatever, um, and I at there was this um, point system um, that you had to take a certain amount of classes to look and to look good and qualify for different UCs. And um, one of those negotiations that you had to make was to take a foreign language or an art class. And a foreign language class at the time was weighted. Um, more positively towards getting into a good UC. And so I didn't take any art classes until I was a senior. Um, And this became really important in kind of like my life story, I guess, because I ended up um, sort of satisfying my visual arts hunger through um, tech theater. So, because theater tech met after school hours and there was a wonderful theater program at Sacred Heart with all of these other um, theater artists who would come to the school after school and to teach, they taught you how to do sound and lighting and set design. And I did set design for most of my high school. And I think there I learned how to to build and to paint on a large scale, like even though it was not, particularly my vision, but I learned about that intensity and that materiality. And so that became really foundational to, I guess, you know, where my art life later took me, you know?
0: Yeah. No, that's, I I was going to say, because it seems like the the paths to literature or books or written, the written word was laid in by that early poetry experience, which is great. And then I was wondering, well, how does the art play into it? That's interesting. What languages do you take, by the way? Instead of taking art class,
1: I took Spanish. I took Spanish. Oh well, I don't, cool. Yeah, yeah. I want. It. I mean, I don't speak Spanish though, so I don't know how oh, useful it didn't it, take. Was. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: didn't take.
1: Oh. Um, the other thing that I did consistently since I was five was um, I, I went to music school. I think that's a very popular thing amongst a lot of Asian immigrants, you know. Um, and um, music school was really interesting. So um
0: was it violin or piano
1: I did both actually so oh man
0: you doubled I, down on the
1: <laughs> I did yeah I did um piano from when I was five and then um I later on added violin because at the elementary school there was an orchestra and there wasn't a piano spot for the right, orchestra yeah. so I did violin um I and I, I enjoyed both um and um, the important thing here, though, is that I ended up taking music classes at a really wonderful music school called the Community Music Center, which is in the Mission District. I think it's still there. It's on Cap Street. And around the fifth grade, you're able to um, sort of apply to this uh, this chamber music program. And um, so starting in the fifth grade... I got into this chamber music program where you learned how to play music with other people. Um, And then you also learned a whole bunch of music theory. And then eventually it led to a composition class by the time you were um, a high schooler. Um, So I did it all the way through um, middle school and then later on in high school. And then my music teacher was part of this program, but she was also my, um, my piano teacher. And she is an extraordinary contemporary composer who introduced me to folks like John Cage and Herbert Broome and Henry Cowell. Yeah, at a really early age because I was already extremely interested in visual art. And at one point, practicing concertos started to become a bit of a burden. (laughs) And then it started to become a little bit unexciting. And so I think that as a way to kind of continue to engage me she introduced me to like the scores of George Crumb you know and I was so just enamored by this new way of thinking about sound and language and everything and that kind of folds into my all my already building growing interest in poetry and literature and stuff like that so that was a really really important aspect of my childhood that I think is really present in my studio practice now.
0: Yeah. Can I say that this is a ringing endorsement? I mean, I, I know it's a small sample size and it's stereotyping, but when I grew up, a lot of my friends were Catholic. Some went to uh-huh. Catholic school or the uh-huh. ones that went to the school where I went to went to catechism and did all, the whole Catholic thing on the side, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and there was a lot of pushback. Like it was uh-huh. the talk about it was it's so strict and yeah. it's not fun and you just have to do, it's just, like, task-based, and a lot of the people that I know who went to Catholic school or did, you know, the whole catechism, like, CCD thing, they just pushed away from it. They couldn't, like, it was not an environment that they felt, like, was creative and, like, you know what I mean? So, this is, sounds like such a great experience for Catholic school, and I'm sure there's tons that are like that, but, I don't know, growing up, my friends were not getting that john cage poetry and you know, well the amazing. john
1: cage stuff happened from the community music center and that's not to discredit my teachers but uh but um i had extraordinary teachers in catholic school you yeah, know no, and great. i it was uh, and it, it I, I really think that it ended up netting positive and that's not to say that i don't have a million things to complain about you know i do but <laughs> i think in the end it really net positive for me
0: <laughs> yeah and i think it, it also illustrates this idea because there's a conception of you know unlike to your point of like stressing out about a college and school or university where you're going to go i think a great teacher will will override any pro, quote-unquote program you know what i mean yeah. like you could go yeah. to a smaller school or a school that's not as prestigious but if you have if you line up with a teacher that just really inspires you or a group of faculty i mean that can set you off into the direction you need to go you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah i i completely agree with that
0: so you so you had all this great like culture and experiences (laughs) leading up through high school so how did how cooper union (laughs) that seems like
1: i know right so um uh, I had never heard of the Cooper Union like many people in California who are, you know, 14 or 15 yeah, or whatever, right? you know. Um, um, and one the, one of the theater tech teachers told me about it. So it, I can't remember his name, but he was the sound teacher. And, you know, I'm sitting outside painting, whatever. And, um, And he was like, Have you ever heard of this school called the Cooper Union? And I was like, No
0: (laughs) Did he follow um, with It's Free?
1: Of course. Yeah, like right. ev- like everybody did. Yeah, that's like the ringing <laughs> you know?
0: endorsement. I mean, it's like a great school and it's free, you know.
1: Was- well, yeah, you know, I mean, I think I I don't think that this is an unusual opinion, but I think that, you know, at the time I thought that the idea of going to art school was really risky and I'm, I and I yeah. really wanted to make my parents happy and I I think that going to art school was already such a huge leap of faith for any parent you know because it's so i mean what are you what are you gonna do with an art degree right like what because it's just now now with art degrees like i think that or now that i'm in in it as a a professor and as an artist i see that there's many possibilities and stuff but as an outsider i didn't know you know like i i had a very sort of narrow view of what what that could mean you know and that became really scary and you know of course, like, you know, my mom really wanted me to go to UC Berkeley, just right on the BART line. <laughs> of
0: course, of course. <laughs>
1: um, and, um, and so, yeah, anyway, so that's how I heard about it. And, you know, when I was applying to colleges, um, I, I, I had my range of schools. Um, I had the schools that, um, that felt like i would probably get in and then i had my long shot schools and cooper union was my dream school and um and i'm really happy that it worked out but
2: yeah
0: did you have to do a portfolio and was was your application the fact that you had a lot of experience in different things like whether it's music or you know um poetry or literature like did all that weigh in?
1: i well i don't know i mean i think that i I meant wherever i could right i i don't know um but i i mean the big thing at cooper was the big home test right um i don't know this so yeah um a big component of the cooper union application is the home test where you are given like six questions um and then you create artwork and it has to all fit into an envelope and then you mail it back to the school and then um you get a score on it that's a great idea yeah, yeah, and there's, I don't remember all of the questions, but I do know that it's traditional that one of the questions be a word that you respond to, and my word was surveillance, so I remember creating an artwork about that. Um, yes. I think I kind of based it off of some collages by Jasper Johns, who I didn't even know really anything about him at the time. I just was excited by looking at a series that he did and kind of um, borrowed from it. That's um cool. Yeah, yeah, Um, and yeah. So that was really daunting. And then the Cooper Union also asked you to um, mail in one of your sketchbooks, which was very unique. So they wanted to see a real sketchbook, Um, and uh, you know, I, 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 kind of made, kind of made a sketchbook for for it in a way by sort of combining. I think that was where I did all the music stuff. Like, I inserted different drawings that I would make for music class because that's like kind of where I had my sketchbook because I was yeah, working on what this you composition had, class. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then I had like all of these other drawings that I would make for like all my different classes and stuff. I kind of just kind of compiled it together.
0: It's pretty great. So, um, when you went to what was the transition like moving to New York because you're West Coast? Born and bred all those years in yeah. New York, and this is what 2005? 2003. two thousand oh, two thousand three.
1: Yeah, I graduated in two thousand seven. Oh, yeah, so right
0: um, after nine eleven, pretty much. I mean, uh, there's right still a bit 9/11. of that tension uh-huh. in the air.
1: Nine eleven happened when I was in eleventh grade. I remember it was uh, we were dismissed from chemistry class. I remember that. Um, it was really sublime. I mean, I'm I I can't imagine what it was like in New York at all. That's completely just unfathomable to me but um 2003 I moved to New York uh I you know I'm pretty excited about the transition to be honest I had a great time <laughs> getting away <laughs> from <home.
2: laughs> Starting Transitioning fresh. was
1: not hard at all yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was so happy to be in New York and to sort of you know I think once I mean, you could really feel the ambition and the hustle in New York, right, once you land from another place. Like, I think there's no other city like it where you could just feel that kind of, that drive, right? Um, yeah. So, I'm very excited to be a part of it all.
0: And then what were, well, A, what was the transition like to, to Cooper Union? Was it kind of like... I don't know much about their curriculum or whatever, but were you, did you just start making things, you were taking like intro classes and how did you start to, over the course of that undergraduate experience, like develop your voice or like, you know, I feel like we, most of us in undergraduate school kind of like exercise the demons of making some, you know, you get it all out of your system. You try everything and you're just, you know, searching around and then you start to develop something. (laughs)
1: Well, Cooper Union has a really um amazing foundation year. So um there's a lot of erasing and rebuilding, I think, um, behind that. Uh, so when you go in, you're not really t- picking classes yet. They kind of give you your classes. Um I remember taking a two D design class, three D a basic drawing class, and then there was also color theory, which was really Um, impressionable. Like I had never thought about color in that way. And it, you know, um, it had a very, my, my color theory class was deep rooted in Albers. And I really enjoyed kind of sitting down every week and figuring out a lot of those problems that he created. Um, And so that was really just, I don't know, I feel like when you sit and you do Albers exercises, they it complete, completely open your eyes. <laughs> like, oh. I just, like, it's just so incredible, you know. Um, I had a really great 2 D and 3D teacher. I remember um, they were very uh, detail oriented. So I feel like a lot of the sort of thinking about craftsmanship was just really intrinsic to the foundation here. Like, just caring about every minutiae of how something would appear like i remember the 3d professor lisa lot um, She'd always, like, talk about how, like, you should look at pedestals, like, from, the, I mean, she didn't always talk, she talked about it, like, once, but I remember it. Um, But she, she would always talk about how you can, like, really judge um, an artist by looking underneath their pedestal, and that just scared the crap out of me. <laughs> like, oh, yeah,
0: that's like, like, oh, always, that. like, oh, yeah, you feel disrobed. You know, like, like not when, only
1: is does, is the front important, but, like, the bottom and the back yeah. is really important, so that was, that, that was very impressionable. Yeah. Uh, I had Scott Richter for basic drawing, and he w- he had a background in um, industrial design. Uh, I don't know if this is exactly why he taught basic drawing the way that he did, but the way that he taught it was like you know it's you had to be able to make these incredible, incredibly accurate observational drawings using just a singular line. You know, like oh, there's nice. no. So that, that that kind of skill training was just incredible for me, you know? That's like um, the gym
0: for art. That's like going to the gym and, like, doing, you know, like, yeah, heavy yeah, lifting. Yeah. It's like, totally.
1: Know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> both that way of drawing and the Albers exercise, they're both, like, going to the gym, yeah, you know? definitely,
0: yeah. Um, Foundation
1: yeah, yeah. So that I mean, oh my god, I'm so like I'm just like that was that's such an amazing experience, and I'm so thankful for that because I think it really kind of instilled. Well, that foundation year plus the Catholic education really instilled a strong sense of discipline. Structure.
0: I think. Yeah, <laughs> you had a lot of structure. I know because I was I would, you know, I think when I was in those intro classes a lot, I remember you know my beginning painting class doing a still life and um and i just made an abstract still life after like the first one cuz we had to do a couple and uh-huh. you know i was i wasn't given the green light on that i just wanted to try to do something different you know and i think sometimes people with that structure they just feel like contained or you know but you embraced it you felt comfortable in that
1: well that was just the first year i mean clearly yeah. i was able to open up after
0: right right know? no but i mean that some people are just right. so impatient especially these days <laughs> Like, yeah like no still so then alive. afterwards oh. you know
1: starting in the second year you can start picking your classes and everything and then i ended up taking all of the printmaking classes at cooper union and completely fell in love with like all of it and then that's where i started doing artist books as well and nice. then i was also doing all of the painting classes with um mostly studied with um david true and robert bordeaux um, and then I did a lot of drawing with Lisa Lolly, and um, she was really important in my sort of um, evolution, I think, because she, she had such a strong emphasis in mark making. You know, like I remember she sent me to the library to look up the mustard seed catalog, which was um, a catalog of Chinese painting. Um, and... It was essential. It was a little bit like a dictionary where you could go in and you can look up like different animals and flowers and see what the mark making iteration of that would be, and that was really impressionable. Um, thinking about ideas of just life, life ness in a in a drawing. You know, I think I learned yeah. a lot from her classes, and also thinking about, um, you know, she would take us to like Central Park to like draw the trees and stuff, and just thinking about observational drawing in a totally different way in a way where the marks were such such carriers of the energy in the subject that you were looking at um yeah and then uh i i studied um just with so many amazing printmaking um professors um uh and i mean all those printmaking subjects also um, there's a lot of discipline that's intrinsic to each of those mediums as well. So
0: yeah. Specific process and you have to yeah. making is almost like the baking as to the painting is cooking.
1: I would say so. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then until, you know, like baking, you get to a certain level where you can start to be really experimental with it yeah, and be happy with some of those outcomes. That's really awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So by the time you're, you know, getting ready to graduate, what's your work like? like? Are you making? Were you given a studio and doing your own work at that point? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so you're, you have a studio every year from when you're a sophomore, um, and uh, so I should say that I mean, despite, despite how maybe uh bold I was with some of the things that I said at Cooper Union critiques I was also pretty freaked out at the Cooper <laughs> Union <laughs> um and I was I was like a I mean I portrayed myself as like a pretty diehard abstract painter like if you had if you had um if you'd poked me, I would have bled turpentine, you know, like, I just think I was like one of the, I just like completely, um, adopted that personality and, um, really kind of exerted it everywhere that i went. Um, so I was making really, really large abstract paintings that were like very dense with like, uh, oil paint and and wax medium like they they i mean i think that they were completely void of air um and uh yeah that those were the i was using a lot of like etching needles and scratching into the paintings there was a lot of debris that would come off of them almost like an anselm kefir or something like that yeah, yeah.
0: visceral process-based like yeah, medium just getting into it. Like you were really into yeah. the process and the medium.
1: Yeah, and they were huge. Like they were so big. Like I, I like there was something about that where like I needed to really make my my my. I needed to like make my mark or define my space or you know put a stake in my territory. There was that kind of a energy in it.
0: Yeah, and then uh, when you graduated, didn't you go to Vietnam?
1: I did. Yeah, so. When I was a senior at the Cooper Union, I applied for a Fulbright, and um, you know I think it's important to say that I also didn't really want to address anything about identity at the Cooper Union. Like I mean, it kind of came up once in a studio visit where a professor had asked me, you know, you don't ever talk about Vietnam, you never want to bring it up or anything like that. And you know, I I I think I had like a I I had like a visceral reaction to that. Um, Like, I I was so annoyed and I didn't, I I was like, you know, it's none of your business and it's not, you know, it's, I'm so much more than that, and you know, that kind of a thing. And I think that, you know, while that annoyance is very visceral, um, I think it was also because I felt, like, ill-equipped to really talk about diaspora and heritage and ancestry and you know, colonialism and the war. I, I I was so ill-equipped. Like all I knew was oil painting and big mark making. You know, so I was also really scared by that. I think in hindsight, you know. Um, so I um I apply for a Fulbright because I'm just freaked out about what to do after school. So I kind of just go for it. And I remember like the first drafts. I you know, I, I was applying to go to like Indonesia or something, but I, I kind of couldn't come up with a good reason, you know? I mean, it was just as good as going anywhere else in the world. Um, and then I eventually wrote about, um, this ignorance that I had, um, about where I was from, you know, and how, um, and how, how important it was for me to visit Vietnam and to, um, be engaged with different art making communities and stuff and so in the end um i wrote a proposal to study lacquer painting at the ho chi minh fine arts university and it completely changed my life and it completely changed my work from there on out. You know, um, I get to Vietnam uh, at the end of 2007 and um, I'm enrolled at the Ho Chi Minh Fine Arts uh, University where I learn how to uh, do lacquer painting. And um, aside from, you know, the marvelous experience of learning a new technique, um, it's my first time having friends who are not vietnamese american but like vietnamese uh and we're all speaking in vietnamese like it's a very different kind of a friendship because i have to learn much more vietnamese and i have to you know slowly start to really express myself in vietnamese like prior to this like you know i had a very kind of like you know uh parent daughter version of um, of vietnamese which is very polite and didn't have any of the kind of dynamics that i that i have in my english personality you know so um yeah so i go there and then i end up staying for four years despite the fulbright being a one-year fellowship
0: wow they're like you know this is that's only a year you're you're still there it's like (laughs) you really well
1: i mean you're supposed to come back you're supposed uh, to come back uh And, uh, and I mean, nobody that I knew who had a Fulbright stayed for only a year, um, but I, I, so, you know, yeah, so I didn't go back. I didn't come home and I ended up working for, um, I had some other odd jobs, but I mainly ended up working for a ceramics tile manufacturing company where I became a kind of a art, director like there was a there was a there was a department that they built called the concepts team where we basically took ceramic tiles from the company and created art projects with it it was pretty awesome um and uh and i led a team of other artists and we created installations and sculptures and created different kinds of art art problems, um, for the company and it was really exciting and really progressive. And, um, I had a time of my life, it was amazing. I, I learned so much from that, ex- uh, from that opportunity. I remember something that was really impressionable was I, I was sent to Foshan, uh, for a business, for a, uh, a business trip and it <laughs> was just for research and development and stuff, but I remember Foshan is a is a small city in China, three million people, and um, it uh, it's its main industry is ceramic tile manufacturing. And I just remember just being so awestruck by the industrial operations there. Just like I remember standing on top of this like quality control deck and looking out at this sea of people who were making ceramic tiles and it looked like a meadow of wildflowers because they were all wearing different colored uh t-shirts and so that's how you could tell which section they were in um and they were just kind of moving like you know like swarms into the next and it was breathtaking and totally sublime
0: um yeah so that had an impact
1: I think so. I think that working at that company in this kind of corporate culture and then also in a company that is in a place that is really trying to be competitive on a global scale was really um just really provoking um and really kind of I don't know like I think it became really uh confusing for me because there was so much negotiating of values what is traditional what should we not be heavy-handed about you know like what you know and then there's also this kind of capitalistic drive in it which is um which is also valuable but also very kind of ethically complex you know um yeah
0: yeah. so you but i mean you spent a while doing it right you were there for a while i
1: did that was like my daytime gig you know and then at night and the evenings i had my studio practice so i had like a really um awesome studio in vietnam and i made tons of paintings there and i was engaged with the art community made some really great say, friends there
0: yeah what's it like what's the art scene like i mean well, i don't a very know what it's like now question, like it was a
1: uh, it, it was I mean, different then um yeah. there was when i moved there in 2007 um the san art the 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 space had just opened and so that was really exciting um yeah. and that brought together a lot of um you know uh vietnamese from the diaspora vietnamese locals and then also just the, a, a vast range of um different kinds of expatriates who are living in saigon and stuff um Later on in life, there were um, some other art spaces that opened up, like the Factory Contemporary Art Center, where I had an exhibition. Um, and that space closed during COVID, I think. But now there's other spaces, so that's very different. But I, the Vietnamese art community is small, you know, um, and um, that's that's good and bad. <laughs> um, right. But uh, it was so it was so amazing. Like it, I would have never, I mean, I I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like, there are so many friendships that I could have never made had I not, you know, been there. So it was just amazing.
0: Yeah. And then another ringing endorsement for something, the Fulbright Scholar, you know, what a great experience, right? To connect back to, you know, that place and then I mean, did you ever feel like, well, maybe I should just stay here? Like, did you feel at all? I
1: did. I did feel that way at the beginning. That's why I stayed there for four years, you know? Because yeah. um, it was so exciting once you're there, like, you know, it, at the beginning. Like, it was so fun to, like, try to figure out how to make things in Vietnam. You, you grab your motorbike and you drive down to the market and you grab different kinds of materials and you bring it back to your studio. And it was, um, it was super fun. Um, I was also 20-something, so it was like, you know, you <laughs> every, life is cheap, and there's a lot of beer, and you're just out Your all 20s, the time it's fun. eating amazing. You know, oh, it the was food, really fun.
0: Yeah, how, the food, oh, right? I haven't incredible. been to Vietnam, I mean, but I, I can so, only imagine.
1: <laughs> there was a... So, at the university, there's this... I think that the university is modeled after a Russian arts academy system, And there is, uh, I don't know if that's accurate, a friend told me that, but I'm going to go with that. Um, And uh, there's this, there's a semester where you have to go off into the world and you work in the world and then you come back and bring your knowledge, you know? And um, I was hanging out with a group of friends who, and my friend Tao was like, we should all go to... Blitz House, and I was like, okay. And he was like, well, because Blitz House has a restaurant, <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, <I> mean. Sohut <laughs> um, is from this um, little uh, town near Hanoi. It's like an hour and a half out of Hanoi, called Hanab. And his parents do have an amazing restaurant. And we all lived in his house. I don't even know if we really made any art. Like, we kind of did a few drawings or whatever. But we mostly just, like, ate, drank, played guitar, sang karaoke into the morning. And it was the funnest experience. We took, um, like, we, we all got, like, the cheapest train tickets to Hanoi. This, like, I mean, this flight that could have been, like, an hour long took us, like, four freaking days to get up to hanoi and the the train ride was so fun because at every single train stop would be like another array and abundance of food like there were people who would be selling chickens through the window and you would grab a chicken and you bring it in and eat it together um there was like a whole bunch of different kinds of you know savory meats and vegetables and stuff like that i mean i was so sick by the end of it was great
0: yeah it sounds amazing so you have this this good job the community you're making art and at some point you think to yourself you know what i'm gonna go to a school in new haven connecticut and be in an environment of the complete opposite of that fun and enjoyment so how the hell did well that i mean
1: eventually the fun and enjoyment isn't so sweet anymore right? Oh, i mean eventually
0: no. don't kill uh, the i dream. think eventually
1: the honeymoon period uh dwindles it's and,
0: so sad isn't it <laughs> it's like if only it, all I mean, life could be a vacation to everyone
1: and i think i mean i think i got to a point in vietnam where i was just i mean i was just becoming kind of dumb <laughs> you know like i just like i was like oh my god i gotta get it i gotta go to grad
0: school (laughs) you seem Um, to to have a very good relationship with the educational system like the you know academia and and being in that environment i like school
1: yeah 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 yeah. i like school we had had a good experience you know yeah yeah and my dad you know my dad was a teacher um, my dad was an English and ESL teacher at this place uh, called nice. high school. And so I like, I mean, I was around schools and his friends are also teachers and professors and stuff. So yeah. I've always had like a really positive experience with, with education and the communities around universities and stuff and, and other institutions. Um, but yeah, you know, um, you know, Yale, yeah, Yale, Yale. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I end up going to Yale. Uh, <laughs>
0: you're like all these great schools I really wanted I really wanted I to go. It. what <laughs> all these great nice experiences in school let's see if I can test that to Yale. yeah I
1: um I tell my students this story a lot actually um because you know I don't I'm I mean I I end up having a really great time at Yale and I don't regret my decision at all like I got a lot out of it um but I did want to go to Glasgow, and um, I, I wanted to just be somewhere else. And I, I felt that I felt that a Cooper Union student going to Yale was, you know, it's been done before. <laughs> 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 and um, I, I, I really wanted a different experience. And um, I had gotten into Glasgow and was really excited about the possibility of moving to Scotland and you know, just living there and just yeah. seeing what that was all about. And then upon receiving my acceptance to Yale I caved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that was that's a a road divided in the woods, right? Scotland on I one mean, side. I, and
1: I I I New totally Haven. caved. And I, you know, you just uh I mean you just can't help it when it when it calls, you know, I don't know. I yeah. Would yeah. You, what would you have done? <laughs>
0: And, uh, i i mean i got into three schools that i applied to and and i had the same thing when i got the the acceptance from yale i was like i'm going there but i'm an east coast guy so yeah and i got a full scholarship offered to the art institute and i think they give out two a year or something and i could have gone for free yeah yeah and i had a lot of friends there who played music there but then I thought, if I go to Chicago, I'm just going to end up playing music and like messing around, and you know. But if I go to New Haven, I'll be. It's going to be rigorous. It's going to be like serious. <laughs> so I did that. So I'm right there with you. I did the same thing. Although I would, I didn't get an offer to Glasgow. That would have tempted me in a different way. I think than Chicago.
1: It was totally. Like, it was a different thing. Anyways, whatever. It's it. it we we all ended up at Yale. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know what's really four funny? years like, in
0: between which is nice you had that it was nice it was
1: experience. nice i you know i totally forgot about identity politics in america like it was like so,
2: oh <laughs> such a, yeah different, it was such yeah, a crazy thing. thing
1: to come back to yale and to come back to america by going to yale and um kind of learning some of that language again because i i hadn't talked about identity in four years you know yeah. Um, and that was interesting um, it was I picked it back up like it was an old bike <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was going to say was it was it a hard adjustment or something because like, being somewhere no, where wasn't. you're all it just, Vietnamese it, it you know, wasn't it,
1: difficult it was difficult because uh, it wasn't difficult to talk about but it was difficult to actually unpack my identity like that I think that was like the true
0: work so uh so what are you well two questions one is like what are you working on now where's your work now what are you working toward you know like what's the current work you're exploring about and then when you're making said work and thinking about it are you a music in the studio person is music still a thing is it just the piano thing. for life or do you branch out to like clarinet or no oh my or? god i wish i just wish
1: kidding. i did i would be so cool i mean the reeds all those guys are awesome like i mean i just i mean i i've never made a sound with a sort of an instrument that you breathe into i would love to learn how to do that i mean i was always really impressed with like french horners and stuff like that like, oh yeah so amazing, i played saxophone you know?
0: for yeah my whole growing up has played saxophone. All those instruments. Fun. I
1: mean, every single instrument is so amazing. I mean, I, I would love to just collaborate with people who play different instruments, you know? Um, yeah. but uh right now I'm working on my show that is opening in London in March of twenty twenty four. Nice. Man. Um it is it's at um it's at Lehman Maupin and the show is um the second part of my three part show with Lehman Maupin. So I'm doing this whole thing on um, Dante's Divine Comedy. And what I'm doing is I'm taking each of the epics and I am kind of using the epic as a jumping off point, but also as a great metaphor for some other geopolitical situation or geopolitical theater. Um, The first show was uh, the Inferno show. And that was held in Seoul um, last March. And that show compared Virgil and Dante's descent into hell as analogous to an ascent into space. So up is down. And so I'm kind of like messing with that, um, mm-hmm. creating things more ambiguous, you know, right is not right, wrong is not wrong, you know, things like that. Um and what I do is, I take uh, different elements of the Inferno and different uh, subjects in Hell, and I compare it to different inv- events during the Cold War. Um, so there's like different um, characters that I um, depict LBJ, JFK. Um, uh, I- um, Madame Vaux is another one, and they're all kind of embedded in this world that is related to the, the great space race, you know. And so, right now, I am going and working through Purgatory. Purgatory is a mountain in the way that Dante describes it, um, and it's a mountain that has seven crescents that, uh, d- that represent different sins, and it's also, um, a gorgeous place to imagine because there's a seashore that they come upon. And so it really, um, you know, you can think a lot about migrants who have come to shore to a new place, you know, um, the, um, there's angels everywhere in purgatory, you know, angels and other souls who are trying to cleanse their, their, their morality so that they can ascent into heaven. Um, And what I'm doing is I'm taking Mount Purgatory and I'm creating it into a whole mining experience. So rather than thinking about climbing the mountain, we're gonna go inside the mountain. And so right now I'm kind of at the beginning of making the paintings and also drawing a a great analogy between uh, Purgatory and uh, the Grassburg mine, uh, which was uh, the largest gold mine, during the Cold War, and it was in um, in Indonesia. So I'm kind of pulling that apart. I'm also starting to fold in um, kind of, I don't know, I started to think a lot about, like, how, how different societies have dealt with trauma through mythology.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: one being that comes into mind is Godzilla. So Godzilla as being kind of a mythology that really um, helped to um, navigate the trauma of, of Hiroshima in, in Japan. Um, And so being that Mount purgatory could be a dense geological formation with ancient knowledge, dinosaurs started to become an important thing. And that's where the moth thing kind of comes in that I was telling you about Mm -hmm. and the ferns and stuff. And so I'm kind of starting to just build that world and the show, will have a collection of paintings and works on paper and artist books.
0: Nice. That sounds good. Did you, tangential question, did you go to Beinecke and check out Rauschenberg's Dante's Inferno drawings?
1: I know about them. I haven't seen them yet.
0: Oh, it was amazing. Were they? Yeah. It yeah I could definitely you have to wear white gloves, wear. or at least yeah. when I was there. You had to wear white yeah. gloves, but you can oh, like, the thumb is amazing. It. It's amazing. I've
1: heard about them on my, on many occasions. I actually, I, I need to make the time to go, but so many people have told me about them.
0: They're beautiful drawings. They're amazing. That's awesome. It's for each canto. Yeah, it's just, they're, uh, but That's yeah, cool. no, I remember it. Just, they're beautiful and they're amazing drawings. Well,
1: actually, you know, thinking about artists who have been inspired by Dante, one of the purgatories that I am reading. So I, 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 I'm I using all Stanley Lombardo translations to help me through this this journey um but one of the purgatories that i'm reading is actually a compilation of many different poets all doing different translations of the different cantos, and that's a really exciting version to read so yeah yeah. it's
0: very cool i like i mean it's so i to your point earlier about um injecting the machine with you know life of like subject matter and all that i mean this idea of like Pulling from literature and working on paper and then working on canvas. I mean, it just seems like a great kind of like gestation for the brain, for concepts and ideas and collaboration between, you know, materiality and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's very exciting.
1: Yeah, I would say so. It's really, I mean, I, I definitely feel like it's very generative. Like one thing I'm never out of ideas, which is really great.
0: Yeah, that is, that's, isn't that the scariest thing? carte blanche the blank canvas Ah, well, I, yeah you know, no, oh that's my God. the most daunting <laughs> part of making artwork so what do you listen to when you're making all this work or is it silence
1: no it's not it's uh it's silence sometimes um, there's a lot of different things that i listen to um, I
0: i'm here have- for it all
1: um every you know everything you know everything from like i don't know when i'm feeling nostalgic there's a lot of like 70s light rock happening you know because that's one end of the spectrum i've been working through a lot of different concertos like i've been really enjoying listening to like whole repertoires of concertos and so like piano concertos and stuff like that that's nice. been new because i used to I used to kind of get bored despite having been a piano player. Like I would just be bored listening to it. But now just because I'm starting to listen for themes and how composers constructed themes and would, um, you know, sort of break them down and then rebuild them back up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a a score. Like I'm kind of curious about that. I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, The new books network is a really great um, sort of uh, resource for me. um do you listen to that the new books network
0: no i don't i'm i love it Um, i'm very niche about my not purposefully but i get into certain podcasts and i rabbit hole it you know
1: yeah yeah i'm in a rick
0: rubin rabbit hole i'm in a like i listen to soccer podcasts like i love the art of soccer and i just listen to that all the
1: time one of my favorite books is soccer in sun and shadow don't know it Oh, my God. Did you just me so up? It's so beautiful. Did you just change my life?
0: What's it called? Soccer. I don't
1: know. I mean, it, it, it was a um, – that book uh, really changed my life because, you know, I'm really interested in poetry and policy and oscillating between those spaces, you know. Yeah. And and um, Sun and Shadow is written by Eduardo Galliano And what I absolutely love about it is that the book is – written in a series of vignettes and the ball is is at times just a ball and at times it becomes these these many many different things like the it becomes a woman it becomes a baby it becomes a son it becomes like so many different entities that have so many emotional attachments to it the book overall like over across the different vignettes is um extraordinarily poetic and hits on so many different notes emotionally but it's simultaneously always a critique of fifa and i love oh, that nice. to be able to hold that space <laughs> is just just breathtaking uh it's one of my favorite books
0: all right i'm ordering it after <laughs> great <laughs> first thing to do after the podcast is there an audio version so when i'm driving i can
1: <laughs> i mean maybe but i also think that there is it's a really great um uh in real life a ver- uh, book because there's little drawings in it of a little soccer player oh nice and also the vignettes there's a certain kind of pacing in it you know so kind of yeah. like how in poetry like the rag can really make a difference you know right. like i think that the, the the tempo of these different stories in this book is like also really important
0: oh i'm i'm all for it. yeah i i get the <laughs> physical book even if i'm thinking to myself, I'm going to listen to most of this book, I'll still read it physically. Yeah. So I'll do both. Yeah. I like to... Plus, these days, I don't know if this is a bad sign, but I feel like I have to read things two or three times to really get it. It's like a complicated movie. I'm a little
1: bit like that. I also feel like I'm a bit of a grazer of a reader now. Like, I'll have so many books around me where I'm just kind of grazing different chapters and then I'll go back and forth and stuff.
0: God, nothing makes you... uh, Nothing fractures your space-time continuum and attention span like having kids
2: <laughs> i love
1: ha- i love being a mom man it's yeah awesome. no i, I mean, that's not a critique
0: I, i'm just saying it changes yeah. your your operating system
1: <laughs> oh totally totally uh yeah it
0: <laughs> i'm not complaining it totally i love does. being a dad it's just it's different
1: <laughs> it's really different it's really really different yeah and then all the different ages like each one is like different
0: you know yeah Like,
1: I remember, um, I don't know, like, there's a lot of just, like, making it work, right? Um, But I just remember, like, um, at the beginning of Penny's life, um, that's my first daughter, I was, God, I was working on the Berlin Biennial paintings, the Mm -hmm. 14 Stations of the Cross, and um, we had inconsistent babysitting at the time. And I, I, I like to start my paintings out with these big swaths of, Color and pores and stuff like that, and she was probably like eighteen months or something like that. And my husband was out or whatever, and you know she's starting to learn how to walk. And I just remember just letting her walk all over the panels, and like her footprints (laughs) are like in the paintings. And I'm just like, whatever, (laughs) you know, just like it doesn't even matter at this point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it, it recalibrates you in a certain way, you know. I'm, yeah. i I feel like I'm a much better human being, but time is different now. Well, not so much now, but when you know, when you're younger, it's a little. As we were talking about before we started, it gets a little yeah. crazy with scheduling and stuff.
1: Yeah. But it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't know how it was when your kid was little, but freaking Halloween man! Halloween is a really big deal. There's so oh, many yeah. things. There's so many things to do. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. It's it, it gets busy for like things like that for sure yeah yeah, yeah it all migrates too anyways it's, it's it's good stuff but yeah it's it's great that you're uh you know you have your studio set up it seems so functional like it's a nice setup that you have yeah it looks good too like if that's Thank your studio you. behind you right yeah, that's what yeah, here it is. We have a
1: little world good off.
0: light and oh yeah, that's yeah.
1: Nice. No, it's great. It's really awesome. Um, when we when we bought the place, it was a bare barn, and my husband finished it, so he did everything. Um, oh wow, so, nice. Yeah, it was really. It's really. Um, he did a really amazing job.
0: That's great. Well, uh, well, can you share with listeners your where they can find your work, anything you have coming up? I mean, obviously, if anyone's in London, you've got that coming up in March. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I right now I have my um, show up at the ICA in Boston, and so um, that show, which is about a totally different thing from Dante, though has a lot of, you know, continuous threads with a lot of my other work, that show explores Emerson and, and land Reformation in Vietnam, and um, that show is up until the end of January. Um, if you're in London in March, you can check me out there. Um you can, I think my, uh, my website was just recently updated after like five years or something. <laughs> no, it was like, it's been like, it's been like three years. Um, and so you can look for me there. Um, let's see, subscribe to, to Martha's Quarterly and Passenger Pigeon Press. That's probably yes. like the most oh, yeah. accessible thing because they'll just arrive to you in the mail. Um, and, uh, yeah.
0: And you do the Instagram too.
1: I did the
0: Instagram of Tamil <laughs> It's <laughs> a good handle. <laughs> well, uh, good luck with the show coming up and, and congratulations on the ICA. And uh, um, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much. Great talking to you.
1: This was so much fun.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sounded Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking out the website soundofvisionpodcast.com or following on Instagram at soundofvisionpodcast. You can really support this podcast by going online and leaving a rating and review and sharing it with a friend. Whenever you do leave ratings and reviews, it helps spread the word and get the word out to other people who may be interested in hearing artist stories. So if you can just take a minute and leave that wherever you listen to your podcast, it would really mean a lot. Many thanks to Tammy for taking the time to speak with me. Many thanks to Soho Art Materials. Check out their stretchers and their supplies. Many thanks to Golden for making the great paints that they always make. And also many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Make sure you check out their coffee subscription. It's pretty great. We've got some great episodes coming up, so make sure you stay subscribed every Thursday. we drop a new one, so thank you for listening.